Um, so I'd like to tell you a bit about our story, uh, both the Annex uh, story and I'll focus on our uh, main asset, which is Wim Creek, which is a, uh, a copper mine we plan to bring back into production and be the next uh, copper producer in Australia. So the key, the key elements of our business going forward are delivery, that's getting into production of copper uh, from our West Australian asset. Exploration, we have some um, interesting tenements uh, in the Pilbara region at the, the project that we have. And then discovery, and this is a very important uh, part of our, our business. So discovery is all around building assets onto the, the, the project that we're building. And uh, I think that will become a bit clearer as I move through. So copper. Copper is an amazing element, and I, I'm not going to spend too much time on the demand side. I think it, it's clear to everyone, and obviously from Sean's uh, presentation earlier, uh, the lithium business has exploded um, on uh, the green revolution and EVs. Copper, um, we've been using as human beings, I think, for over 8,000 years, and uh, it remains a key building block for us in you know, virtually all facets of life. So not only is this green revolution sort of pumping up the demand of copper, but as the population grows, the demand keeps growing, and there's for, um, the, as I say, the basic building blocks, there's requirement for copper. So we, when we acquired our asset, we were very focused on base metals and particularly copper. We, um, we see that the, the copper space is going to be um, under a lot of pressure and uh, quite soon. And it's not so much on the demand side. We think that it's more on the supply side. And I'm going to spend a little bit of time just talking through the, the challenges on the supply side because I think that the market is not too bad on uh, assessing demand growth, but the market's not particularly good at assessing supply constraints. And that's because they are, frankly, quite opaque. <clears throat> it's very difficult to see through where production interruptions are going to happen. There's, there's obviously all sorts of factors that uh, come into play there. So there's all of the, the political issues and um, in, in terms of operations. But what I want to um, focus in a little bit more is on new supply. And you know, I guess a key fact in new supply is it now takes between 10 and 15 years to get from a discovery through to production. So just think through that 10 to 15 years. Um, that's an incredibly long period of time. And in fact, a lot of the larger discoveries uh, you know, takes t more than 20 years. So here we have this growing demand. And on the supply side, not only are we looking at a relatively scarce element, but one that takes um, an incredibly long time period to bring it into production. We've seen that there's an opportunity, although copper is uh, quite scarce, there are a, a fairly large number of smaller, more modest deposits, and uh, the, the process will become a little bit clearer as I talk through our Wim Creek story, but there are these smaller deposits that if you can aggregate them, and we're using some smart technology to bring them together to process through a, uh, what we call a processing hub, and it's... Um, it's, it's not totally dissimilar to um, the Sean's lithium um, processing hub as well, where you're bringing feedstocks into it. 
I, I guess the big difference for us is that we have the critical mass at our project to develop that, so resources that we own, and then we intend to bring in material from other um, assets around us. So, Wim Creek, uh, it sits up in the northwest of Western Australia. Uh, we sit in a very well-established mining region. We're up in the Pilbara. The Pilbara region is um, probably much better known for uh, the supply of iron ore and more recently lithium. But in fact, the, the um, Pilbara is also has, uh, quite prolific in um, base metals and, and also gold. And in fact, our neighbours um, have one of the largest gold deposits in Australia, and I'll come back to that uh, a little bit later. But we're all about base metals. We acquired Wim Creek two years ago, and we've very rapidly moved through a development process. Um, we're about to put out a DFS, and the reason I'm here is to let people know, um, get people ready. We're very excited about um, what you'll see in the DFS, so it'll be out in probably uh, just under a month. So the numbers that I've got up here are from the scoping study that we completed uh, just over a year ago. So I just want to make that very clear. I expect that the DFS numbers will be quite similar, but these are the scoping study numbers. Uh, so we have a project that uh, we acquired with about 11 million tonnes of resources. Uh, and they're reasonably high-grade resources. So it runs at um, greater than a percent copper, 2% zinc, half a percent lead, and then some useful silver and gold uh, byproduct credits. We expect that we'll, based on that resource base, uh, develop a mine with a seven-year mine life. The, uh, we've got four resources, and two of them will be mined in an open pit format, and two of them in an underground format. The two underground uh, resources are open, so we've got a, a defined seven-year mine life with immediate growth potential. We expect that the, uh, the, the business will generate around about 300 million uh, Australian, we're talking Australian dollars, in free cash. So uh, an EBIT of around about 50 million a year. We'll produce somewhere in the region of 12 to 14,000 ton a year of copper equivalent. We are a copper producer, but we've got uh, so important zinc uh, byproduct credits. So about 65 to 70% of our revenue will be copper and then uh, 25 will be zinc, and then the balance, lead, silver, and gold. Importantly, we attracted the attention of Anglo-American. And this is quite unusual for a, a company of our scale and, and resources of, of this size. And of course, people say, well, um, you know, why, why have Anglo offered you this debt funding? And there's two reasons. Near-term copper supply is, is very, very difficult to find, especially in um, uh, very politically stable jurisdictions such as the uh, such as Western Australia, and then the other part is that Anglo like the technology that we're going to be using to unlock the value in our project. We hold it in uh, the project's held as an 80-20 uh, joint venture. We hold 80%, and the people that we acquired it off have retained a 20% uh, interest. So. Here we are up in the Pilbara. This is an expanded map. <clears throat> and in the middle of that circle, you can see the orange tenements, or our tenements. And then we've put uh, the circle is a 100-kilometer radius around us. The Wim Creek project that I've just described is at the centroid of that, uh, that, that circle. Around it, 
there are numerous other VMS, so similar style uh, deposits. They're deposits that we don't own, but they're deposits that on their own are too small to justify the, uh, the capital that's required to develop a, a mine, permit a tailings dam, etc., etc. So we believe by having first mover status and by essentially building a processing hub, we'll position ourselves such that our neighbours will naturally come to us. And of course, we've, we've already gone to them, but a, as time rolls on and we get into production, they'll come to us looking for an avenue to monetize their assets because it's a long, it's a long game, as I, as I started off with. You know, if you've got to spend 10 to 15 years poking holes into the ground, um, it can be a long time between drinks. If you're able to get in and generate cash flow from smaller uh, resource bases, um, you're in a much better space. And so we see a very robust business model on our own resource base, but one that can grow rapidly within this base metal province that, we, uh, that we're very fortunate to be in, in, uh, in the Pilbara. I'm not gonna speak to that slide, it's just all about what we've done over the last two years. We've been busy, we've got an even busier two years ahead of us. Just on our team, it, it, it's, it's obviously a theme. Uh, it, it is all about the people and We've got, uh, for a, a junior mining company, we've got a very uh, robust, strong team. A little bit about myself. I'm, I'm a, a, an engineer. I'm originally from, um, from Africa, and I started off my career in the platinum business, actually with Anglo-American. So I was involved in um, high-tech refining of platinum metals and uh, base metals, and then I ended up in the engineering business, spent many years in the engineering business designing uh, metal refineries, cobalt in the, in the Congo, copper in the Congo, and then uh, nickel, um, high, high temperature pressure nickel refineries in Western Australia. So I got my fix of, um, from an engineer's perspective, the exciting um, high tech type stuff. But uh, over the last probably 10 years, I've been involved in the junior space, and it became clear to me very early on in the junior space that simpler, more robust is better. When you're a, when you're a small mining company, you don't want to be having to uh, build sophisticated uh, metal refining plants. You want, to have you want to have processing that's very robust and simple. And so that's been the journey that I've been on over the last seven years. We've been looking at technology and particularly particle sorting technology, we've become highly specialized in that. And that is the technology that's enabled us to <clears throat> be um, so successful with the Wim Creek project and deliver such leveraged outcomes from Wim Creek. So we have a team, uh, a very uh, sizable team, including engineers, um, environmentalists, but importantly, geologists. The technology that we're using, this particle sorting technology, is all about unpacking the geology that's naturally there. And uh, we'll have a bit more on that later. Uh, the, the, the corporate structure, we're a listed ASX company. We have uh, circa 400 million shares on issue, <coughs> market cap of 30 million, uh, and uh, a shareholder base, um, mainly supported by high net worths. We do have some inst uh, instos on our register. So here we are, this is our our site at Wim Creek. This is a drone. It's uh, still up in the air looking down. 
and you can see it's a, it's a brownfield site. So it was operated back in the uh, early 2000s by a company called Straits Resources. They very successfully produced 60,000 tons of copper cathode. They mined only the oxide resources, so these are the resources that sit at the top of the deposits, and they left all the sulphide resources below because the processing infrastructure they had wasn't appropriate to, to treat the sulphides. They sold it um, when they'd finished processing the oxides to a company called Venturex, which is the company we bought it off. But the main uh, takeaway from this is that the, um, you can see all the infrastructure there. So we've got this Brownfields asset in the Pilbara. It's got um, all of the, obviously the roads are there, the water systems, the power systems, offices, workshops. And this, along with the, the technology that we're using, will allow us to uh, very rapidly develop the asset and we're aiming to get into production later next year, and as I say, be the hopefully the next Australian uh, copper producer. So what about the technology? Um, probably uh, a, a good place to start is this particle sorting technology actually started off in the diamond industry. So in the diamond industry, it was used to look into rocks. It could see diamonds within the rocks using x-rays. And so it could uh, shoot these rocks out of a process stream before the diamonds were destroyed, before it went into a crushing plant. The technology could only be used on very small throughputs, um, and that was about 25 years ago. The technology then got adopted into the waste recycling business, and it exploded in the waste recycling business. So the same technology now is used on all of your household waste that gets sent to a plant, and it separates out green bottles and red bottles and different metals magnesium, aluminium, etc. Through that process over the last 10 years, a lot of R&D went into the, the technology, but probably most importantly, the computational um, uh, strength has, has, in, has increased and in speed um, exponentially. And that has allowed the technology now to come back in a, in a much more robust fashion into the mining space, because it can now be applied on much uh, greater uh, process streams. So what does it do for us? We mine, we crush, and then we put the rocks into uh, these ore sorting machines, and I'll show you one in operation in a minute. What the ore, ore sorting machine does is it allows us to decouple the mining from the processing. So the ore sorting machine looks into the rock. It can see the mineralization using some smarts, our um, IP. Uh, so we set up the algorithms. We can tell the machine whether it's a, 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 a viable rock or not. If it's not, the rock is left to, to drop down. If it's viable, it gets ejected using uh, pneumatic jets. And it gets selected. It goes forward into the process plant and gets turned into tradi <coughs> traditional concentrates that will be marketed through the Anglo-American network. Uh, so why is it so important? Because we're able to more than halve the volume of material that we mine that we then process. So we effectively turbocharge the processing. We're doubling the metal units that uh, go through the processing plant. That reduces the capex. It reduces the opex. More importantly, it delivers um, amazing uh, carbon footprint benefits and reduced environmental uh, uh, footprint because you're halving the power, you're halving the water, you're reducing the chemicals, and you're halving the tailings. So it's a, it's a technology that's robust. It's relatively simple. We can buy these ore sorting machines off the shelf 
from the, there are two European companies that supply them largely into the waste recycling business, but they've obviously recognized that mining is a, is a great market to be in. But the smarts is around understanding the geology and applying the algorithms, the, the, the um, desired algorithms for your geology. We take it one step further. We do a primary sort, all the good stuff, and I'm talking about 85% of the metal goes to the concentrator. 15% of the metal in um, more than 50% of the mass is sub-economic for the concentrator. We put that through a second stage sort, we strip that out, and we put it onto the old heap leach. That, um, that's all the infrastructure that was there. And we use bacteria to bio-leach that uh, material. Now, this is not part of our main business. This is amazing upside. It's very exciting. It's a, certainly a passion of mine, this bio-leaching. Uh, I think that the IP around that is also very valuable. And it delivers upside, um, but our main business is just the, the, the stock standard producing copper, zinc, and lead concentrates. When you see the uh, feasibility study, when it comes out, the numbers will not include the upside from the bio-leaching, and it also won't include the upside from the final reject material, which I think we'll likely be able to sell as an aggregate, because effectively you've crushed the material down to an aggregate size to put it through the ore sorters, and then you've stripped out all the sulfides and you end up with a, essentially a repurposed material that's suitable for road base or aggregates. I'm not going to dwell on these slides too much. So these show the actual pits that we'll be mining. This is the main pit called Moncapri. So it was previously mined. You can see this is the new pit superimposed on the old pit. And you can see the warm colors at the top indicate the high-grade material. This is typical of a classic VMS-style deposit. You get the massive sulfide sitting at the top, and you get the lower-grade stringers sitting underneath. This ore sorting technology is particularly effective in upgrading the lower-grade stringers that sit underneath. Same again, this is the second uh, open pit mine that we'll get into. And then at the back end of our mining schedule, we'll get into two very high-grade satellite underground mines. And these satellite underground mines we own, they are um, a little bit away from where the processing hub will be. So one is about 20 k's away, the other is about 30 k's away. But these um, underground mines essentially provide a, a blueprint for the other assets that I showed you that are around us that we'll ultimately look to bolt onto our asset that are currently owned by others in our region. So this is now the fourth one, which is a much larger underground mine. Okay, so here we are. Um, so you can see this is our ore going through an ore sorter, and you can see the rocks shooting off the end of the belt. You can see the rocks that are being... What, what happens is that the rocks um, get crushed, they go onto the belt. As they shoot off the end of the belt, the, the um, processor knows where the rock is in space and time, and it ejects those rocks that um, have been identified as <clears throat> being mineralized. So you can see it's relatively simple and robust. Behind it, you can see that's the, the 3D model of the ore sorting plant, which is a modular plant, which has all been fully designed. And um, we're obviously now costing it up for the DFS. Um, you can see I'm running out of time here. So this is the downstream concentrator, which is a modular plant. Uh, it's a relatively uh, straightforward plant. And this is all 
uh, very common technology used in the, in the mining industry. It's crushing, uh, milling, and flotation. Uh, these are just some more numbers around the scoping study. I won't dwell on those. Um, other than to say that the copper prices we've used are around about um, $3.87. I think we used US a pound and an exchange rate of 73 cents. And that delivers, uh, again, these are scoping study numbers, but um, it delivers an MPV of circa 230 million. I did mention before the benefits of the technology around the environmental footprint, carbon reduction. That was not our intention when we started looking at the technology. I believe that in the mining space, the technology will actually become more widely used because of the, the benefits that it delivers. But um, it also obviously delivers some considerable economic benefits, which is where we started off. <coughs> so just in terms of timeline, very simple timeline. DFS next month, uh, we aim to have our permitting all completed before the middle of the year. We aim to um, have the financing with Anglo, we're obviously um, talking to them at the minute, get that to a point. So that's debt financing, it's vanilla debt, they get the offtake. Uh, we aim to have that bedded down by the middle of this year. So FID, um, end of quarter two, that allows us to get into uh, construction through the second half of this year. And we believe that the construction period will be round about 12 months. You saw that there was a lot of infrastructure there and that's why we're confident that we can drive it through so rapidly. Labor, <laughs> labor shortages in Western Australia are a challenge and that may push it out a little bit, but we're aiming to be in copper production late next year. Uh, so expiration. We sit right next door to a company called DeGray, which over the last uh, 10 years has delineated probably 12 million ounces of <coughs> gold deposits um, and essentially demonstrated that the Pilbara is an emerging gold province. Exploration is not our focus at all, but when your next door neighbour has um, been so successful in finding gold and the structures that they've been so successful in finding the gold on, run across your tenure, you'd be crazy not to um, have a look yourself. And so we've done a lot of work. Uh, at this stage, it's been more geochem work, so soil sampling. We have done a little bit of drilling, and uh, we're very cautious with our spend on exploration because the focus is to start generating cash from copper, and then we'll sort of really roll up our sleeves. This is just a bit more on exploration. It's an amazing area, so we've found anomalism for PGMs, nickel, cobalt, and then the base metals as well that we're interested in, uh, the zinc, the copper, and of course gold that I've talked about. We, when we acquired the site, when you acquire a brownfield site, it's great, you get all the infrastructure, you also get legacy environmental challenges, and uh, those came with the site. The first year was spent rebuilding, you can see the ponds, you can see the shiny new pond that we had to build there. Um, we're in a cyclone region, so managing water and discharge from the old workings is, is incredibly important. We've got all that behind us, so we, the, the Department of Environment insisted on certain things that had to be done. We, uh, when we acquired the asset, we knew what we had to do, we've got on, we've done it, and that's how we'll be able to permit the asset in the next uh, couple of months, because that's all been ticked off. So in summary, it is all about near-term copper. There are very few people uh, who are 
um, able to make claim that they're going to be producing copper soon. We are, it is rarefied air in Australia. I think that there's, there's only three potential producers, uh, certainly in the next two years, and uh, we're one of them. We have Anglo-American um, that, that come in early in the piece, and as I say, unusual. They like the technology. They're chasing near-term copper production. They've offered us US 20 million in debt funding, and, and we, we might persuade them to push that up even higher. We have a robust project, 300 million, uh, over a seven-year mine life that will likely grow. But we've got a business model that we think we can build on immediately with the surrounding assets. And just one final point on all of that. This whole process that we've rolled out on Wim Creek can be repeated on numerous other assets around Australia and, of course, around the world. And we've got a list of those. And um, we've, I've been, been very busy on this one, but certainly having a look at... Um, where else now we can have our team roll out a similar process because the copper space is going to, um, from the, the supply side, is going to get very constrained. So it's white label acquisitions then. That's what it sounds like. Exactly. I'm going to have to stop you there because you've overrun by four minutes and there's lots of uh, Q&A, I'm sure, Jeff. But um, when I was doing my, my research... Um, for your presentation tonight, one of the questions I wrote was debt funding from Anglo-American, how have they managed to achieve that? But you've said that uh, several times throughout the presentation, which is near-term copper supply. The DFS, just under a month's time, I'm sure Anglo-American and the investors are salivating, waiting for that. But from what you've said, it sounds as though the DFS numbers aren't going to be too dissimilar to what is in the, tonight's presentation. Yes, that, that's exactly right. Um, and, you know, obviously I, um, I, I can't say too much about those numbers, but you can expect that they will be similar. Uh, we, the scoping study was completed over a year ago. We, like everyone else, have had the inflationary pressures have been, uh, in terms of capital costs, are there. They're real, uh, absolutely no doubt about it. But the fact that we started off with a very low capex anyway means that um, those impacts are less. So there, there will be um, the capex will be a bit uh, a bit higher, but we're gonna it, it'll be similar to what you've seen, and and the cash flow will be similar to what you've seen, um, and it'll be uh, very robust. And yeah, we're we're excited to get it out. Interesting to hear you say that. Um a labour shortage could possibly be a challenge, which makes me wonder whether we're going to see the return of the £10 POM. <laughs> and, uh, but obviously you don't want to be using expats um, within Australia. So what are you doing in terms of um, upskilling the local community and engaging with them? So we, we can't do without expats. And I'm an expat, so I'm <laughs> we're important people. You, it's particularly um, in certain skills. Um, you have to share them around the globe, and um, you know Australia will um, continue to call on um, skilled people from both here and um, Africa and North America. In terms of skilling up, it's it's not easy, and I think that unfortunately mining has become less appealing to the younger generation. It's not something, I think there's been such a drive on this, this green revolution and, and mining is beaten up at every point. And yet 
we do huge things to um, to actually protect the environment. But it's not so. So uh, the answer is it's there's no simple solution. And uh, branding, uh, branding your image. Also. Sorry. Image branding your image. Yeah, well, I, I think that that that's that's got to change. We've, we've got to we've got to really work on that. But that's not a not a short term fix. But uh, but that's exactly right. And I think that there is a big drive in Australia to try and bring younger people back into uh, back into the sciences, but particularly into the mining sciences. But your ESG credentials are pretty high, even at this stage of your business development. Yes, and as I say, we um, hand on heart, we didn't start off with that. Uh, you know, the, the the technology was driven by economics, but it became clear very early on that. The, the technology was going to dramatically improve the ESG credentials. And uh, we, we will see much more of this going forward in other mining areas. And it's, it's just it's, it's exciting to um, be in, a, um, in an industry where technology can change things so dramatically. And uh, you know, I guess it's the same in all industries. But mining is terrible at adopting new technology. So it's a real, it's a real challenge to, to get it going. And, um, We've been in amongst it now for a couple of years. So prior to tonight's presentation, I'd, I'd written into my notes, technology, sorting through others' leftovers, stockpiles and waste dumps. But you've said the neighbours might be coming to you to monetize their assets. So there are multiple strings to this particular project. Yes, absolutely. And this model of processing hubs and satellite mines is incredibly important because it just comes back to the environmental and permitting aspects. You just can't go ahead and build 10 processing plants. More importantly, you can't build 10 tailings dams. The process of permitting a tailings dam is um, incredibly complex and on larger projects, you're up for five years if, uh, just on the tailings dam alone. It, it, it's so complex. So. Once you've permitted one tailings dam, if you can bring in ore economically from surrounding deposits, it's by far the best outcome. We have the technology now to be able to do that. We'll build the processing hub. We'll have the tailings dam. So hopefully the neighbours come. Any question from the floor for Jeff? And then I'll be... Uh, thanks. The, the, the war in Ukraine has caused... Uh, shortages on a number of commodities. Do, do you see it affecting supply side on copper or zinc? So, yes. The, um, <laughs> Russia is, a, um, is, is not an insignificant producer of uh, particularly copper. And so obviously with uh, the, the sanctions that um, has affected, that's not to say that um, copper doesn't find its way out of Russia. No. But, but yes, it, it has impacted it. And you know, I guess whenever there is a war, there's the demand side as well increases from the hardware that goes into the, 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 the military effort. So it, it, it has changed the market slightly, but I don't, I don't think it's a, a major impact. But there's certainly been, on the supply side, further constraints because of the, the lack of ration copper. If the embargoes continue, do you see that will increase demand for your uh, products? Yes. And At least in the West. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and then I think, you know, there are other aspects that uh, um, unrest, political unrest in South America will probably have a, 
a much greater effect going forward. Uh, so you know, obviously Peru and Chile are, um, particularly Peru, the, the political unrest that's going on there, they're huge copper producers and you only need a, a little wobble there and um, you know, all of a sudden your, um, your, your margin in the copper inventories drops away and um, yep, hopefully we get a decent uptick in the copper price. Thanks. Thanks very much. It's been answered. Okay. Just wait for this. Just one question each, you two. Fancy leaving it to the end. Right. Thank you. Um, it's been a while since I've been there, but uh, what's happening? Uh, do, you, do you require are you, do you require port facilities? And if so, what's happening at Port Hedland and Karatha? Yes, indeed we do. Uh, so Port Hedland and Karatha continue to grow. They are they they service obviously uh, the iron ore business, uh, which is massive. In terms of the base metal business, it's mainly at Port Hedland, and. We are fortunate in that the Sandfire operation de Grissa, which exported all of its copper out of Port Hedland, comes to an end at the end of this year. So there will be facilities at Port Hedland to ship uh, new copper concentrates out of there. Hi, <coughs> Hi Jeff. Um, thanks for that. I'm Guy Hatcher, part of the Green Lithium team, actually, um, with, with Sean from earlier. Uh, but my background is as an exploration and mine geologist, so it's always Good to get back into some of the fundamentals of projects. Just interested about the ore sorting technology. Could you talk, perhaps I missed it, um, on the efficacy, on how effective it is at upgrading the, the concentrate? Sure. So I'll just start off by saying the effectiveness is all about the geology. So it's not um, that ore sorting works on copper deposits. It's on different styles of copper deposits. It works on lithium deposits. In fact, the largest lithium deposit um, in the Pilbara that's being mined, Pilbara Minerals, is about to put in uh, 10 ore sorting units. So it, it, it's all about how the geology had the mineralization form. In our case, we'll see the material be upgraded by um, about 1.8, um, and the volume of material will be reduced by about uh, 50%. So we're starting off at reasonably high grade. If we talk in copper equivalents, you're looking at around about 2%. We'll upgrade that to 3.5%. That's a very high grade. The global average that's being processed at the moment is about 0.6%. So it um, takes reasonably high grade turbochargers at small modular concentrator. It's a good outcome. And you've really set yourself some timelines and fleet of foot <laughs> timelines and milestones. Jeff, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'm quite sure you're going to be surrounded at the end of this. But thank you very much. What a Superb evening we've had, very different mining and security on so many levels. Thank you.